They know everything within that ecosystem. What they don't know is what that client does outside that airline ecosystem. So I might be, let's say, the lowest rung of a loyalty program with one airline, and they don't think I'm a relevant customer for them to engage because I don't fly a lot. But the bank and indeed other entities know that I might actually be a frequent flyer. Um, so that I might be spending over $10,000 a year on flying, but the airline thinks I only spend $300 a year when I go on my soccer trip to Melbourne. Hi there, and welcome to Data Conversations. I'm your host, Michael Bridgman, joined by my co-host, Danny Tyrrell. In this podcast, we dive into how businesses harness data in a safe and responsible way to drive innovation and create value for our society. We are passionate about collaboration and believe that growth or improvement comes from working together and being able to benefit from each other's experience and expertise. In each episode, we feature interesting individuals from diverse backgrounds, inviting them to share their unique stories for us to learn from. Joining us on today's episode is Emmanuel Alfieris. Manny is a highly experienced executive in the banking and financial services industry with a rich background that includes significant roles at Westpac and Commonwealth Bank. Across trade, transactional banking, corporate advisory, relationship management, and e-commerce and markets trading. More recently, Manny has shifted his focus towards the data and analytics domain where he aids organizations in unlocking new value from their data. In addition to his professional endeavors, Manny supports a number of community welfare and cultural initiatives and has been a board member on a number of not-for-profit charities. He's a mentor with Women in Banking and Finance and the Greek Australian Society. Manny, welcome to the show. Thank you, guys. And I was looking forward to this. I thought, you know, this is the hottest data podcast in town. And I know you guys are going, they're going to call soon. They're going to call soon. <laughs> so oh, I'm you always on. Always on the list, Manny. We had you right at the top. We just wanted to find the right time to do the big reveal. You need a bit of a base first before you bring in your, your guns. So today happens to be the day. Um, but but Manny, but in all seriousness, when we I had the idea about a, a podcast around data collaboration, we really wanted to find different people from different backgrounds, but who understood collaboration. And fundamentally, banking is one of those sectors that just touches everybody. Um, everybody needs to have banking in one shape or uh, one way, shape or form. Um, from individuals through the big corporates, and you've kind of lived that journey. So I think the great way for us to, to start today is just hearing a bit more about your experience in the banking sector. You've kind of done the journey from a, a grad through to a career kind of insto banker. How did you find collaboration really came to about through through the banking sector in your own journey? Well, that's a great question. Uh, the you don't appreciate it at the time, but almost every deal once you're in an institutional bank and and an institutional bank basically means you're dealing with the top 500 corporates, governments, financial institutions in the country. Um, and there's no deal which is just, you know, product off the shelf. Everything is customized. Everything is also largely contested. So the the bank that wins is the bank that has the best understanding of their customer, um, knows who they are and knows what they want to achieve. Um, and all of that is based on relationship but also data, and it was becoming more and more uh, driven by data, uh, certainly in the last 10 to 15 years. And many typically within a bank, um, you know, you sort of reference collaboration, I guess, and to Danny's kind of question around, 
maybe the ecosystem and the industry, but even kind of within the banking context, Danny and I have both spent a bit of time working in and around the big banks and they're, they're massive organizations, even kind of within a particular bank. But I'd imagine that collaboration also extends kind of within cross-functional teams across your own business, let alone the rest of the ecosystem when you're pulling together financing, warehouse deals and these other things as well. You're right. It's multifaceted, multi-party, multi-people uh, on both sides. So on the client side, we would often deal with the treasury uh, department, but we they had to bring in the business units, uh, obviously the finance units, the operational units at our rooms. There was no one owner of a particular product or capability. So we were off on the front end, certainly my, the latter part of my career where I was the relationship uh, executive. Uh, so you had to bring in product people, compliance people, credit people, uh, to, to bring it all together. Uh, and it was never a cookie cut, never, ever cookie cut. Uh, the lawyers, uh, uh, <laughs> I remember them um, having, I kept on saying, come on, it's the same as the last deal, just cookie cut it. And uh, they were quite uh, forceful in reminding me how nothing is uh, the same. Yeah, it's a, it's a good story, I think, in terms of nothing quite being the same for, uh, for different deals you go through in banking. But I think it's also important to think it's kind of what the collaboration world's like in, in general. Like it's easy for, for vendors or organizations to say, oh, this is just going to be the same as last time. But really, if you want to understand an organization, if you want to understand a customer, it's about truly understanding who they are. I think data's played a really big role in that over the years. Um, you spend a lot of time at Commonwealth Bank, which for those who, who maybe don't know, is the, the largest bank here in Australia. Um, and they're really ones who I'd say have led the technology journey. How did you see their, their thinking evolved over the years around how important data actually is to both understanding organizations, but ultimately also their, their customers as well? Yeah. Um, perhaps I can go a little further back because it's sort of a continuum and talk about Westpac. Um, one of the famous Australian CEOs and certainly one of the renowned CEOs at Westpac was uh, Gal Kelly. And Gal Kelly simplified it in a very concrete way. She didn't talk about data per se, but you can, when, when I tell you, I guess what she told us to focus on, you can see where data comes into it. She said, know me. In other words, if I'm the customer, you need to know me. You need to understand me, know what I'm trying to achieve. And thirdly, you need to help me. Right? So those were the three things. Um, and what's happened in banking, and I'm sure this is the case around the world. Um, Getting to that data insight so that you could address, know me, understand me, help me, uh, was very hard because the data infrastructure was in a spaghetti diagram of systems. What CBA did is they made an important decision during the global financial crisis, which was they were going to invest over, I think it was about $1.4 billion at the time, unraveling the spaghetti diagram and making it effectively one black box. So all of a sudden you had the credit card data, the mortgage data, the wealth data in one place. And once you solved that technical element, then you could solve the other element around uh, the, you know, know me, understand me, help me. Very uh, analogous to a lot of kind of other industries that we hear from. And some of the other guests have mentioned this as well. I think that's, you know, there's many retailers in the country now who are going on that same journey with their own kind of uh, e-com, on-site, whatever else it is. But that um, that simple framework is know me, understand me, and help me is a, is a cracker. I'm, I'm assuming uh, Gail doesn't have copyright on it. She's putting a book, so I'm sure we can all use it. Um, but yeah, so what happened then? Once you started understanding what clients were doing, um, 
And more importantly, I guess the big shift in collaboration is not understanding your client, but in a corporate sense or a government sense, understanding what their clients or citizens were doing. Now we could get that picture. Um, so understanding, for example, one of the things that I was involved in was the Opal card, the transit ticketing system for uh, New South Wales in Australia and Sydney. Um, understanding what, understanding what commuters were doing uh, and understanding how they behaved was a way that we could calibrate how they could, real simple things in the early days, pop up their transit card. And how, what predisposition do they have online? Where should you place um, the ticketing machines? And but those were the sort of things that, again, really collaborative in nature with the transport department here, but it was driven by the data. So knowing what question to ask uh, and then how to resolve it, data was very important in that collaboration. Yeah, I think data, it plays a massive role in really getting to that understanding, as you said. Um, a lot of people, a lot of organizations just try to know a customer as much as possible. And I guess that's what they get to see from their interactions with the customer, right? But actually truly understanding someone is that multifaceted view. So what they're doing across other sectors, other organizations. Um, and I think there's plenty I'd like to come back to on that in terms of why bank data actually is quite interesting to the broader understanding. But I guess before we go there, I think it's just pertinent to point out that if you don't have the last piece of this puzzle, I think this is where people are getting a bit concerned. If you're just trying to know and understand and know and understand and just try to make that as, as deep as possible, you start to get into that creepy territory. Why do you need to know so much? Why do you need to understand so much? Where really it has to be driven by really you're only doing that to try to help someone. And I think that's the message that probably gets missed sometime. And we've really tried to elevate that on a few other different um, episodes that we've had so far is actually that purpose at the end, really making sure that there's good intentions is what gives you the right to to know and understand someone because at the end it's all about trying to help someone yeah and in fact this is a good entree into taking it up a helicopter level about why data collaboration is important and that is if you believe that the businesses of the future that will win will be the ones with the best digital um, twin i think that's the language that the sector is using the best digital twin then the organization with the best digital twin will be the organization with access to the best data about their customers. Now, they won't own that data because it's impossible to know everything about your customer. So you can have a very strong vertical view of the world about what your customer does in your ecosystem, but that's not enough to help them. You need to understand horizontally what they're doing across the sector and across their lifestyles to be relevant to them, to be able to help them. So... Um, if you believe, as I said, that best digital twins will win in the future, then you need access to the best data. And therefore, you need to collaborate with people that also touch your customer to get a 360 view of their lifestyles and what they're doing. Otherwise, you're going to go to know me and understand me and just shoot stuff that's irrelevant or get to a creepy space, which it's not really about helping them. Yeah, Manny, and you referenced, I guess, the the reference to the Opal card scenario is is that exact um, exemplar, right? It's it's the bank kind of leaning in and looking one layer or one click further into um, the customer, being your client's customer as well, and understanding kind of how their interactions with your client works, but also importantly, helping your client understand how those interactions or how those 
customers, clients move around the ecosystem as well, to your point, where to best position ticket, ticket vending machines, where to um, put in new uh, infrastructure to best serve that local or, or geographic community, which was, I guess, the New South Wales citizens in that particular example. Um, over your experience, have there been any other examples you might be able to share, um, share in kind of the banking context or even something you're seeing sort of on the horizon um, where just to help kind of make that a bit more concrete as well? Yeah, I think the best example is with an airline. Um, so, and this goes, this is exactly the example of the, you know, the digital twin and, and the ones that will win going forward. An airline has a very deep view of a customer's engagement with that airline in that ecosystem. Um, they know if they're a frequent flyer, they know what price points they like. They know um, if they upsell or cross-sell into, you know, vehicles and hotels and insurance and all sorts of other things. They know everything within that ecosystem. What they don't know is what that client does outside that airline ecosystem. So I might be, let's say, the lowest rung of a loyalty program with one airline and they don't think I'm a relevant customer for them to engage because I don't fly a lot. But the bank and indeed other entities know that I might actually be a frequent flyer. Um, so that I might be spending over $10,000 a year on flying, but the airline thinks I only spend $300 a year when I go on my soccer trip to Melbourne. Um, so how do you get insights on what people are spending in terms of their wallet on travel uh, and hotels and cars and everything else? Uh, and also uh, across that ecosystem, across the sector, so that I might be someone that's worth engaging to bring them into the narrative and the value proposition of my airline. So if I see someone at the bottom rung of the points program, they're not necessarily not an attractive customer. They might indeed be the most attractive customer. Uh, you just need to engage them to encourage them to sw swap over and try my proposition. Yeah, I think it's a good, it's a really good example. And I think when we talk through these examples, we often speak to an individual example, but it's good to note as well that Actually, we're not always talking about knowing that Michael is the the high flyer or he's the one who's got the the spend as well. Um, sometimes pulling this data together is actually saying, holistically, this is what we're doing. And I think that's where a lot of the bank data becomes interesting because you don't need to just show what someone's spending individually because a lot of people probably don't want everyone to know where I spend all my money. Um, it's more about the the patterns as a whole and helping that to then turn that into insights. And that's really where we get to that help me point that you pointed on, Manny. Um, and I think the bank data set um, is just a very interesting piece of information that you can get those insights about because as you said, it's really about what's happening across the board. Obviously, some people shop with different banks, so there's not always going to be the full view of the world, um, but it's really just that spending on category. Um, and by category, we meant maybe how much someone is spending on retail or someone spending on airlines. Uh, it really does start to, to click across as you said, not just that narrow inside line, um, which helps to give information to those organizations who need to make those decisions. Yeah, and importantly, particularly when you start using data sets that are you know, um, protected and constrained by legislation or indeed you know, customer commitments like consent, it's really important you get that right. right? We've seen in Australia four big examples where data wasn't protected and you know, done properly. Um, and to be honest, that's what excited me about um, what Dataco is doing. Uh, 
better, that you've solved that problem, that you can collaborate safely uh, with really insightful data, but still keep the individual's data protected. And you're right, it's not about Manny, but it's about the 4,000 Mannies that are out there. How do I become relevant to them? And how do I understand you know, what media they use, um, where they travel, what hotels they like, so that when I do engage them, um, without knowing them one-on-one, I know what the cohort looks like and I know what that cohort would find uh, resonates with them. Uh, so, and particularly in a world where privacy legislation is becoming stricter uh, and you need to be able to demonstrate um, the whole consent provenance, uh, the organizations that will win, again, how do you get access to the best data? You need to collaborate with entities. Banks are one of them, uh, insurance companies, uh, airlines, regardless of whether or not they're legally constrained in sharing data, morally or business-wise, they're going to be constrained. So you need to find a way to make that collaboration work. Otherwise, you're going to be, you know, understand me and know me, but still missing the mark. Yeah, that's great, Matty. And that might be a good segue. Um, you touched on it very briefly there, but um, you are kind of on board and working with us closely at Dataco now, which Danny and I are really, really excited about. As I said in my intro, you have shifted your focus away from the pure kind of banking landscape and you really are focused now on helping organizations, including uh, large financial services institutions, both in Australia and abroad, unlock new value from their proprietary data assets. And kind of what that means is you spend a lot of time looking at big data assets, kind of looking at macroeconomic trends. And in fact, you, you post about this pretty regularly on LinkedIn. Um, I think one of the things we wanted to uh, maybe try and do today for the first time on this podcast was highlight and bring something up on the screen for our uh, viewers to interact with. So I'm going to have a crack here at bringing up a bit of a chart. This is, I think, a, a post that went live today. Um, but maybe I'll bring this up and see if this we can make the magic happen here um, and then maybe talk us through uh, where you've got this data from and, and kind of what we're seeing as well in the market. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Rockonomics. Uh, so this is really interesting. I do scan what the ANZ economics team pushes out to the market uh, and ANZ Bank has a great research and economics team. They leverage bank data, bank, bank spend data and then aggregate. Um, so one of the things that's been driving my interest is in a cost of living difficult environment for households, what are Australian households spending their money on? And uh, and I find things that are really surprising. In this case, the top category for 2023 for discretionary spend was live theatre and ticketing agencies. Um, and my hypothesis on that is that this was the Tay-Tay phenomenon. This was the Taylor Swift era's uh, a tour, plus Beyonce, uh, Elton John, a few others that are there. Uh, it's driven an extraordinary growth uh, of 17% in that area. And what I find interesting is, I think, look at the standalone, you know, it's kind of interesting, but then when you start thinking about COVID, pre-COVID, you know, how have our behaviors changed? What does this mean for profiles of people? What do they find interesting as a, as a promotional offer? Uh, you know, the interesting thing there are things that are falling away, like amusement parks and hobbies and books, sadly for me, um, is, is really interesting. Uh, and 
again, the organizations that understand this driver with their customers will be able to resonate better with them than those that don't know um, how their customers overlap on this dynamic. Yeah, absolutely. I think I'm I'm totally in this first category, Manny. Um, I, I sat there with multiple computer screens trying to get Coldplay tickets at the end of last year. Um, we missed out on Taylor Swift, but at least we've got um, Coldplay lined up. Um, but I, I definitely fall into that first category. And I think, as you said, this bank data is probably, not everyone thinks about this type of insights as what you get from bank data. And I think if you know this, it's more around, okay, what can I do to help my customers? And maybe I'm not even a, uh, I've got nothing to do with the ticketing industry, or you might not think, maybe I'm an insurer. And as part of my insurance program, I might have some offers that I give to my my customers, all my members. And if I know that everyone's liking going to to see shows and it's really competitive and they're getting really expensive, maybe I can do a deal with them to, to help to bring that to my customers and really help them do something that they want to do and drive some of that kind of engagement with my own brand. Um, but I think really where we've always seen the value of collaboration is this is this is great from just seeing the bank's view, but it's not everyone going to buy tickets to Coldplay. Um, my parents didn't get tickets to Coldplay, surprise, surprise, um, but they're probably still a member of the insurance agency. And so for them to go and say, actually, it looks like bookstores are are declining. No one's going and buying books, but you could resegment by your customers and said, well, actually this kind of older demographic of mine, which is still very high, highly valued customers to me, they're, they're way more interested in books. I can give them an offer to do with books and engage them as well. So I think that's a lot of what we try to get across in terms of really communicating the different levels of value you can start to get. And again, not at saying my mom's going to get books necessarily, but it's more the the category of who those customers are going to get books to help them and find a way to help those customers. Yeah. And you know, you remind me, it's been a while now, but uh, my statistics lecturer at uh, university uh, saying, beware of the averages. Right? Yeah. And this is a great example, right? So this is the averages view of the world, and it's you know interesting from a high-level economics view and sector view. Uh, but then you've got to work through your particular cohort uh, and how that overlays on on this market dynamic. I mean, for, for example, there's another one. This is the second one: vape cigar stores, extraordinary growth in Australia uh, over the year, and that has government policy implications. You know, how's the government thinking about this? Uh, with you know, yes, taxes and the likes. But uh, in our state, in New South Wales at the moment, um, the, there's a ban on selling vapes uh, yes. from the 1st of January. So you know, what is it about this dynamic? Do people sort of stock up in the lead to the ban? Uh, yeah. And what does that mean for downstream uh, health and uh, you know economic outcomes? Yeah, vapes is a really good one to call out, Matty, because sometimes I think when organizations look around what data to report, sometimes we look at these categories and be like, oh, we shouldn't give people performance on on vapes or gambling or whatever it needs to be. But actually, that's really critical information for an organization to try to put deterrence in place. If I'm, a, a say, a health organization and I can see that there's all these young teens or whatever the demographics are or organizations who are getting involved in vapes, maybe I want to put some other health messages about that. Yeah. Um, so I think all of those categories, sometimes we look at things, same with beer, wine and liquor. So it can be used in a really powerful way. Um, and make sure the messages are used in a really powerful way. And I know we're not going deep into, say, the Privacy Act, and this is one of the ones we've touched on on previous shows, but there is some restrictions and rules to make sure people don't use this information in the right way. But I think it is important to keep surfacing it up so we as a society can help to 
to manage some of those messages and tackle some of those harder issues like like vapes. And in addition to that, and this is again one one thing the data code does really well, is yes, there's a privacy element, then there's a governance element. So what will this data be used for? And this is a great example. You could use it for good or for bad. Um, for good, like you're saying, the government, health agencies, education, you know, all that sort of stuff. Um, you need the governance frameworks to do that. Otherwise, you can have, you know, people using the data for nefarious uh, elements. And unless you have the governance overlay, that's exactly what's going to happen. Yeah, spot on, Manny. I think we had one more chart here that we can dive into. Do you want to take us through this one very quickly? Yeah, so this was, again, going back to the ticketing uh, elements uh, and why, you know, what's happened since COVID. I I'll call you to the middle chart there. Um, so when I was a baker, one of the things I learned, so in school I learned, be careful of averages. Um, in banking, I learned, is this a factor of volume or value? Like, cause, and I remember really stuffing up one of my early credit papers to the credit officer. And I said, this company's going fantastic. Look at their growth in revenue. And the credit officer said, Manny, is that a factor of volume or value? And I had no idea. No idea. So this is, I guess, what's happening. So what is happening with ticketing? And, and this is a worldwide uh, graph uh, from a group called Polystar, uh, or Polestar rather. Um, so is the increase in ticketing revenue for concerts and the likes, a factor of volume and all value. Uh, so on the left, uh, going from left to right, you can see that gross for the top 100 tours uh, revenue per show is over $1.5 million today. That's the gross turnover. But is that volume or value? Well, it's actually both. The middle chart, you can see uh, on the left, they're both, there's North America and worldwide. I've been looking at the worldwide numbers. Um, so the number of tickets told, so, um, so worldwide, pre-COVID, there was about 12,000 tickets sold per concert for the top 100 gigs or tours. In 2022, it was 14,500 tickets. So it's a volume increase, 20% increase, which is extraordinary. But it was also a price increase. Um, so what's the average ticket size? And then you go to the right chart. Um, so on average, it was around $95 worldwide for the top 100 tickets. Uh, and in 2022, post-COVID, it got to $105 per ticket. So you can see here some interesting uh, insights about is it volume-driven or value-driven? And again, with the likes of Dataco and data collaboration, you can understand specifically what the engagement is with your clients. Are they going more or are they going less? Are they paying more or are they paying less? Uh, so they can calibrate your promotions or your marketing, or indeed, if you want to do a tire. Um, and take my hat off to Tay-Tay. Uh, she gets and her team gets the business of uh, music better than most. So which hotel group will she tie up with when she goes into a, a country? Which radio station? Which um, you know retailer will she do an appearance with? Um, so and or promote their products uh, either directly or indirectly. So. These are the insights that help you amplify how you engage with your customers. And one of the things that um, the music industry has demonstrated to us is new models are engagement with uh, consumers that didn't exist pre-COVID or didn't exist as much pre-COVID uh, because there is a desire not to increase 
prices too much and not to jam everyone into the venue as big as the stadiums are. So how do you differentiate? You differentiate with product offers like meat, Taylor Swift, or you know, have a particular, um, I think what she does is really clever. She has her people scan social media to see who are the biggest fans, who dresses up the most, who sings her songs, and then you get this call out of the blue that you get to visit her and jam with her or have a song. Um, so that encourages people to engage with her and her brand without an economic impact. Um, and that's where data collaboration helps you understand those segments and those drivers. Yeah, a couple of really key key ones there, Manny. I think the whole collaborative ecosystem is exploding. And if we're going to stay on the, the Taylor Swift, I'm not saying this is set up as a collaboration, but the whole um, Kelsey kind of um, relationship and what's that done to to the fan base of the uh, Kansas City Chiefs over in the, the NFL. Um, if that's being planted, that's fantastic marketing, but hopefully that's actually true love. Um, but we're seeing a lot more of these brand tie-ups that really start to drive value. And as you said, it's because you can't just keep squeezing the same the same lemon, right? There's got to be other ways that you've got to work together in terms of creating value for for individuals. Um, and I think the other key one that you were talking about there is is also why it's important to understand the broader landscape. Because in that ticketing example, if I say was a retailer, I'm a sporting good for retailer. If I move the example to that space, maybe it looks like my sales have been increasing year on year and it looks like I'm going okay. But actually last year, there was a massive boom in sporting goods sales. And I might've actually lost sales compared to how much everyone else is spending. And there's some problems with my organization that I need to address. If I don't have that holistic lens around looking at my own numbers, then I could be in a lot of trouble. And the same for the, the inverse. It might look like I've gone backwards, but actually it's tight in economic conditions. People are just spending way less in that particular category. But when they're spending, they're spending with your brand. So maybe you're in a stronger position than you actually think. So I think making sure people, whatever industry you're in, always having that holistic view of um, the market is incredibly important and also incredibly powerful as well. Yeah, and that's a great entree into another lesson that I learned from banking, which is, are you growing at system or above or below system? Because banks are often a reflection of what happens in the broader economy. So the way performance was determined by the share market and indeed you know, by the individuals that were involved in in uh, the bank itself was you take system out of the equation. Are you growing, or even in bad years when, you know, say, um, you know, during recessions and banking revenues were falling, um, the key performance measure was not that we were falling on an absolute basis, but what was happening on a relative basis. And that's how your true performance could be determined. Uh, and that's the way certainly the shareholders uh, were looking at and the markets were looking at. So uh, again, you need to understand the data and the nuances on that. So, you know, uh, one of the things I did, uh, actually one of my early jobs was uh, I was an FX trader um, and I was really proud of myself because I made some money on the Italian Lira um, and my boss quickly um, brought me down to earth and he said, Matty, any mug can make money in a falling interest rate environment. Uh, you know, oh, okay, gotcha. Yes. Um, so, um, so yeah, I started thinking about system very on early in my career and every retailer should do the same. Every organization should do the same. And maybe this is a good entree into the next thing that I highlighted in the December spending results. Don't believe the hype. So one of the things that I thought was happening in the movie theater sector 
last year was because of Barbie and Oppenheimer that the sector was going to go through the roof. Yet, when you look at the stats, uh, movie theaters were down. So if you want to bring that slide back up, Michael. Yeah. So look at movies. Down 6.4% for the year. Yeah. So you had Barbie and Oppenheimer. Yeah, it's interesting. I actually saw this in the paper maybe yesterday. So a bit of a flow-on effect potentially from the Hollywood writers' strike as well. And actually the article was around, I can't recall the Australian cinema chain brand, but one of them was um, eyeing an IPO either the end of last year or potentially into this year. And it was all around maybe the challenges that they're going to face with that because the the view, the the kind of meta view is that that industry will continue to struggle for the next year, if not more, just because the throughput of new products um, into into the channel is going to be way down, um, and everything you kind of hear about the the kind of writer strike and the um, impact of AI and that um, that business, those franchises, um, it's going to be an interesting one to watch, right? Whether that ever picks back up again to where it was. But I also think it's. Uh... This is consumer behavior. So I'm noticing some interesting things with streaming. So in the 80s and 90s, when the theaters were worried about the video killing the movies, it didn't happen. Uh, but now we've got streaming and you can get movies within weeks or days after its cinema release. Then maybe this is beginning to bite that sector. Yeah. Uh, again, it poses the question because again, this is the average. Be careful of the average. But under, if you're a streaming provider, you need to understand this driver. If you're a multi-theater operator, you need to understand this driver. Um, and understanding what customers are doing with streaming, alternative entertainment, whether it's ticketing or the likes, uh, and the brands that they like, uh, will, will really give you insights about this. So, uh, And the other thing that you raised, which is really interesting about where, you know, why data is strategic, is... You mentioned what the markets and investors do to value a business. Um, we're doing a piece of work with a customer now, um, which is really interesting. They're in a traditional business. I won't sort of talk about the sector, but it's a traditional business and their valuations are eight times EBITDA, or so eight times cash. Flow. Now, we're helping that, that business sell their data because they're a great lead into uh, particular sectors. Uh, uh, who are happy to pay and want to pay for those insights to get that holistic view of the customer. They want to create the best digital twin. And what the CEO told me was, wow, Manny, this is great because now I'm telling my investors I'm not a traditional business that should be priced at 8x. It should be priced closer to 20x, which all the other data businesses are being uh, priced at. And his investors are beginning to buy on you know, into that narrative. Um, so they're pushing him and giving him money to expand how their data assets can be leveraged by other entities to enhance their digital twin. Now, of course, they, they, they want to do this in a way that, that doesn't uh, expose any privacy data. They want to make sure that they're not lopping data over the firewall and exposing it um, and don't have the issues that some of the other Australian firms had. Um, uh, but the insights, the aggregate insights are valuable to others to calibrate their pricing models and, and work out um, customer acquisition uh, channels. Now, but there's a win-win-win. But this is really interesting. You get the data story right, particularly monetizing your data, you will have an enterprise value impact. Yeah, I think it's a it's a really powerful message, Manny, and it's probably a good one for us to 
to start to wrap on, uh, wrap up on, um, really getting to that point where you can power other ecosystems. And as we've seen from your examples, getting to the point where other organizations can get value from your insights is going to be where we at least see, and we're super passionate about, but the organizations of the future who win. Um, but I think sometimes that's a, a shift in thinking. It's a bit of a paradigm shift in a number of different ways for organizations to even get to that point. Um, and to be honest, I personally love watching your um, your posts pop up on LinkedIn because it is the real examples where you go, oh, of course that makes sense. If I knew this or this or this, um, I can see the value of how you collaborate. So um, definitely thanks for your time to come on and share these insights. Um, if we can have our wish and our wish probably will come true, I think we can get you to come on a, a little bit more regularly actually to just share some of these uh, rockonomic style insights so other people can learn from your many, many years in industry. So thanks a lot for your time today, mate. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. For those who are tuning in online, don't forget to hit like and subscribe if you've enjoyed what you've seen. Um, more of Maddie's monthly insights, I'm sure, will be coming your way. Um, but plenty of uh, fascinating guests that we've also got lined up in the pipeline. So hope you guys uh, tune in and join along soon.